Hi, my name is Jake Miller, co-founder and CEO of Unfiltered. Meet the young man who sold his first business to the government when he was just a teenager. Then he persuaded top business people to pour millions into his new enterprise, Unfiltered an enterprise that sells his interviews with some of the world's rich and famous. Sir Richard Branson, fantastic to meet you. Thank you, and thank yeah. you for the tie. I'm going to interview Eric Yuen, the founder and CEO of Zoom, one of America's charities. I'm to interview Mrs Linda Resnick, the co-owner and vice chair of the wonderful company. He's done all this before the age of 25, but now he's disappeared and so has all the money. Yes, he did have access to all these great people. He, he had a good idea. He got a lot of funding, he was very persuasive, and he basically got addicted to the high life. And what a high life. I love it, yeah. No, I've been uh, learning to fly in, uh, in New York, which has been great, and uh, the plan is to, to fly around the world in a, in a two-seater plane one day soon, so definitely no slowing down. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, NBR investigative journalist Dita Deboni on the incredible story of a young entrepreneur. Who is Jake Miller? Good question. Jake Miller was a young man from Greymouth. He lost his father in a skydiving accident. And Jake Miller was very smart. He went to Christchurch Boys College and he was identified pretty early on as being very clever and he was, you know, encouraged to go to university and all that. And before that, I think John Key had taken an interest in him and, and talked to him about his father dying and he kind of identified with John Key. And he identified with Richard Branson and people like that. He was very inspired. So he decided, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm not going to university. And he set up his first iteration of this kind of platform was called Umpha. Which was a careers-focused online video journal where we interviewed a whole bunch of people over sectors from, you know, um, like celebrity chefs, you know, musicians, artists, business people, etc. And he set that up with a school friend and he managed to sell it to Careers New Zealand. Which is a government agency? A government agency for $130,000. It was intense. Like, it was like we had a lunch at Chibo in Parnell and I was sitting there with the CEO and I was like, we were talking about all the fluffy stuff around the edge. I was like, Keith, how much are you going to pay for this? And he just gave him my pen. I said, write it down right there. And then, you know, it, it got to a stage where we just wanted to, like, get the deal done. And then shortly thereafter set up almost exactly the same thing as what became Unfiltered. He showed this entrepreneurial spirit at a very young age. When I was about 10 years old, I started my first business, which was uh, making and selling fridge magnets at local supermarkets and, uh, you know, shops around town. His backstory is littered with this kind of extreme enterprise. And, you know, he's very inspired by the big titans of business. In New Zealand, that is Dane Julie Christie, who also came from that area of New Zealand, and John Key, who also didn't have a father. I first met John, as I mentioned, when he was Prime Minister. Um, I wrote to him in 2010 after my father died in the Fox Glacier plane crash. You know, I very, very clearly remember John uh, taking the time to visit the crash site in Fox Glacier. I remember being deeply touched and moved by his empathy. He knew who to get in good with, right? John Key was obviously at the time very influential, seen as a, a crack businessman who'd just turned his hand to politics. And I think... Anything was possible for John Key. You know, rags to riches tale. So in terms of leadership in a crisis, uh, you know, there's no one I respect more than, than this man. So he started up Omfa, and how could you create a business from something like that when interviews with these people, you can get them easily on the internet for free? 
don't you think, Sharon, that in your experience as a business journalist, people in government don't often understand the internet. I think they believed that he was giving them something that they couldn't easily access on the internet. And to be honest, maybe at that time it was a bit harder to access. And maybe it wasn't in one repository. And maybe it wasn't with New Zealand leaders. So I think there is the germ of a good idea there. Just to recap now, so Miller started Umfa as a teenager and sold it in 2015 to the government. A few months later, he started Unfiltered, also based on packaging up business interviews. A year after that, he launched a business speaker event called Unfiltered Live, charging several hundred dollars for a ticket. Deboni calls them inspiration lollapaloozas. By 2018, he was named on Forbes magazine's 30 under 30 list of people to watch. Tell me about the future in 25 seconds. It's going to be ambitious, bold, it's going to be global and uh, hopefully really exciting. But back to the US soon, uh, we've got a huge filming tour coming up in January, you know, founders of Tinder, Hootsuite, um, Rick Caruso, who's just been called the, the Walt Disney of retail. So a really, really exciting time coming up. So by then, he was in the US, funded by his high-profile investors. More on that soon, but let's look at what's behind that US launch. He wanted to, you know, access the top American corporate talent. And to be fair, Mm -hmm. that's the home of inspirational books. That's the home of, you know, entrepreneurship itself. And also, you know, Hollywood, New York. Who wouldn't want to live in New York as a young man? You know, who wouldn't want to live in LA where he later moved? So he was... Incredibly ambitious. But how do you make money from doing long-form interviews with business leaders and business stars, I suppose? Well, I think in the beginning he was making money. Why? Because he didn't use top-line equipment to get these interviews. He was very persuasive, so he could nab these amazing pieces of talent, then he would package it up and he'd sell it to corporates. And a lot of corporates had partnerships with him, like Spark, all these kind of big players. They wanted that information, the government departments, the NZTE. As kind of educational um, or inspirational stuff. That's right. And I think there's an element too of an influencer sort of coming in because he would interview someone big and they would post it on their site and they would boost an audience to it. So... It's more like, get your name out there, it's great to be involved with this young guy, then it would be a self-perpetuating loop of publicity, then these investors would come on board, give him money to to go further afield. It grew organically, but yeah, you do have to ask what was at the base of it, what was the nub of it. So how would you describe him? Because he's kind of not a sassy, sophisticated young man, he doesn't come across like that, Not at all. I've met him once, I interviewed him for NBR in 2019. At that point, he'd just um, received $2.2 million from amazing investors like Guy Haddleston, who funds Helios Therapeutics. And he'd got the attention of all these amazing people. He had $2.2 million in his pocket. He came in with the most amazing looking suit, silk socks, you know, something in his coat pocket. So he looked like an old fashioned sort of dandy. And I was determined to, myself and the other journalists were, we were, you know. So it was like a press conference? No, he just came in for an interview. At NBR? At NBR. And and so what, you wanted to get stuck into him? Well, we were all like, oh, bloody Jake Miller, he doesn't do proper interviews. You know, the typical journalism problem with Jake Miller is that 
he deigns to interview business people, which is what we do all day. Yeah. But we have to put them under the, you know, third degree, whereas mm. he does very adulatory interviews. People get to see what's in it. They get to pre-vet the questions. They get to see it afterwards. You know, they get to see every element of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. When, when's the last time you played with Obama and do you guys keep in touch? Yeah, we do. In fact, we were playing at Christmas. And... So Richard Branson, thank you so much for making time for us. Um, so you've done a lot in your life, you know, whether it's buying an island in the Caribbean or, you know, building one of the world's most iconic companies or flying around the world. In this exclusive interview today, Linda and I will be discussing her inspiring story. What are your, what are your dreams left to fulfil today? Of course, my first question was, oh, who do you think you are? Yeah. And he said, well, I'm not doing journalism. I'm doing education. And that threw me because I thought, okay, I guess you could kind of make that argument. Um, he was impossible to dislike, actually. I went in there thinking, what a, you know, so-and-so. And he, he was charming. Really? Of course, he had to be charming, I suppose. But he answered every question, he's extremely fluent, he seemed very naive, but maybe that's my retrospective view of him, mm. given what's happened, but you could see why he would walk into a boardroom and people would be impressed by him. You really? could see that, yes. He had an answer for everything. But it's just hard to imagine that these savvy business people, you know, that he actually even got to them. We struggle to get to those top people sometimes. Totally. But we don't make friends with their children and hang out at dancing. What's the burning man? I was going to say dancing yeah. man. That's how cool I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> we don't hang out with their children, which is what he did. He made very strategic friendships. Um, for me, probably somebody who's had a huge personal impact on yeah. me you know, as, as, a, as a young entrepreneur has been Eric Watson. I know when I first interviewed Eric, uh, you know, who owns the Warriors and Ben Don, you know, he was somebody who, um, you know, I'd obviously read a lot about. He'd been in the media a lot, uh, but you know, he he truly, truly welcomed me into his life and you know introduced me to his son, who's now one of my best friends, and you know allowed me to stay at his apartment in New York for five weeks, after, like a week, after, a week after I met him. You know, so we've become really close, and he's been incredibly generous to me and incredibly inspiring, you know, on a personal level. Then. I believe that he kind of um, not used the story of his his father's death, but more or less people took a paternalistic view of him. They fathered him. They fathered and mothered him. And that's why they stuck with him right to the end, because they were always thinking, well, you know, he's just a a, a black sheep or a wayward lamb or whatever, you know, mm. analogy mm. you use. They wanted to see him succeed. Gosh, because the story that you have recently written, which I have here, some of New Zealand's most high-profile, high-net-worth individuals have been left burnt and fuming and out of pocket by the failure of Jake Miller's unfiltered business. So yeah. what, what happened? Well, basically what had happened the week before is that Jake Miller had announced that he was selling his business to Crimson Consulting or Crimson Education, Jamie Beaton's company. And we knew that he he was in trouble. The business was in trouble. It wasn't making money. And it, it basically, he was trying to flog it off. How did you know that? Um, because he'd approached the NBR publisher to sell the content. Ah. Yeah. And, and others. I mean, I don't think was, that was his only stop. And we'd approached Jake for an interview on the basis of having done that other interview. And he said, yes, I'll talk to you, talk to you, but I can't talk to you now. It's, the deal's being done and so forth and so on. Mm. 
neck minute, it gets announced in the Herald that Jamie Beaton's bought this business. And the Herald um, article was quite matter-of-fact, but they went into Crimson's own legal problems and various issues, which it has a bit of an image problem the same way Unfiltered did, you know. Really? It was started up by two very young people. Very young people, but they're friends, right? Oh, I see. And Jamie Beaton was on the board of Unfiltered. They know each other very well. And I just thought, oh, God, I've got to to do something on this. So I knew that Unfiltered had taken the, the wage subsidy... Yeah. Even though there was hardly anyone working there by the end of the year. Unfiltered and crimson. And crimson. So I thought that's so I could go in on that. But I thought, oh, I might just ring up, you know, some of the shareholders. So I happened to call, as part of my calling, Gary Robertson, who is New Zealand's largest land aggregator, I think. Huge property holdings. And he just talked to me for a long time about what had happened. And he represented other high-profile people, but he didn't want them named. Yeah. But he did tell me who they were. They're listed in other coverage of Unfiltered. And they were all just so furious because they had just been asked to recommit their money and become unsecured shareholders. And then the business had been sold without any real warning at all. It suddenly came to them that... Jake Miller had had sold it. So, how much did these investors invest in Unfiltered? Well, the exact numbers are a little bit hard to tell, but I mean they took part in the rounds, and he raised between four and five million dollars over the five years that he was doing business. Mm-hmm. So they had put in hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow! And besides Gary Robertson, who are the other? investors that you know of? So there are other investors, but can I just make the differentiation that they're not necessarily the ones Gary Robertson was mm-hmm. representing. But people who have um, you know, put money in the past include such and such, he had Kevin Roberts, um, Rob Fife, who was then part of Icebreaker, Diane Foreman, Sarah Tetro, Adrian Burr, George Fistinich, Murray and Tim Norton. Tim Norton was also photographed with him at Burning Man. Aaron Batnaga, Guy Haddleton, as I said before, the son of Sir Doug Myers. I mean, that is the who's who of business. It is the who's who of business. And there's more, you know, people as well which haven't been named. But and so what did Gary Robertson tell you? He just said that for about a year, a group of people, including him, had been working with Jake to say, look, you need to rein in your spending because... You will know yourself, perhaps, that there are photos of him and accounts of him throwing lavish parties and amazing clothing and travelling first class here, there. And There's the famous um, Kim.com mansion Kim. party. Kim.com mansion party. I started noticing ads for something called the unfiltered Great Gatsby Party at the Toy Mansion. But the mansion has been home to one other very famous occupant, Kim.com. That's spin-off's Jose Barbosa describing a night of tuxedos, evening gowns and abundant champagne. The party was organised by this chap, Jake Miller, who's half my age but whose company is worth over $10 million. Yeah, and I mean, Gary Robertson, who's worth millions of dollars, said if it were me going to a hotel, I'd go for a $150 hotel and a $16 bottle of wine, you know, but not Jake. He, it was first class all the way. It was Moe, it was, you know... Um, so they had worked with him to say, look, please, can you try and pair it back? Mm. And were met with 
I don't want to go into too much detail about what he said about that specifically because it was, it's not pleasant. But you know, he got they got pushback. Put it that from, way from Miller. Pushback from Miller and refused to open the books, refused to show them what he was doing with money, refused to show them what the situation of the company was. So, so why didn't they pull their money out then? Because I think they still thought they could turn it round. That, and I don't think for them it was the money. Gary Robinson loved Parkinson, and he believed in the power of interviews to enlighten and educate. You know, he was. He was in it for the right reasons, okay. I believe. I mean, maybe some of them thought they were going to make money, but mm. for these people, it's it's not a huge amount of money, really. Mm. But it's more that here's a young man, let's support him, let's see him take flight, you know. Yeah. And right to the end, they were still doing it. Wow. Where was he living? Was he in the States by then? Yes. So he'd originally gone to New York, but he went to L.A., what he told me was that he went to LA so he could access the Asian market with his content. And he said, and he said it just seems, it does seem unreal now. Mm. But yeah, that's where he was living in West Hollywood. Some of our biggest and best known rich listers are involved here and they make good financial decisions every day. So how were the red flags not raised? There is a sense of, how did people keep coming on board? Like Guy Haddleton, for example, became the chair, but he left four months later, um, which was a bit mysterious. And Jamie Beaton also left the board of Unfiltered before buying the business. So there were all these warning signs, mm. but he was kind of out of touch because he yes. was over in the States yep. and a bit out of control as well. Out of touch, out of control, maybe still trying to convince people that he had to maintain this incredible high life to get access to these people who were themselves part of the high life. You tried to reach him again? Yes, he wasn't having it. He he referred everything to Crimson, and then I read elsewhere that he was moving to sub-Saharan Africa to live, which is where Stephen Jennings lives, who was one of his interviews. Who's currently building eight cities in Africa is a fascinating interview and insights into urban development and what that looks like in emerging markets. Stephen Jennings was the New Zealand businessman who made his money in Russia in a kind of a, a way that nobody really quite understands and mm. then went to Africa. And Jake had got Stephen Jennings and said, well, maybe NBR could interview Stephen Jennings. We went, yeah, sure, that'd be great. But Jennings didn't want to be interviewed by us, probably from previous work that other reporters have done on his shenanigans. Yeah, you'd ask too many hard questions. Yes. Um, so, yes, I think we think, or most people think, um, Jake is headed there. Out of contact. It can't be reached. Totally out of Disappeared. contact. Disappeared. I think it will be difficult for him to come back, to be honest. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Yeah. And the other interesting thing is he sold unfiltered to Crimson... Education's Jamie Beaton, his friend, yes, for sixty thousand US dollars and sixty thousand US in crimson shares. That's a heck of a lot less than what was poured into Unfiltered. Yes, and I would also just point out that nobody knows how much those shares are worth. You know, because if we don't know the value of the company, mm. if there is any value in it which is still debated as well. It is effectively 60,000 US dollars, and yes, that is much less. It does stick in the craw, mm. really, given mm. everything that's happened, and given the fact that he never actually tried to hide his high life at all. It was all there for everyone to see. I mean, these big events. Somebody wrote into NBR that he'd paid $700 to go to a unfiltered live event 
in Christchurch found himself sitting at a seat with a whole lot of real estate agents who had got free tickets. And so he was furious about that. But Jake Miller didn't even show to that event. And they were crazy events where business people would come and speak for like 20 minutes and then the lights would go off and everything was sort of a, like a, an MTV video. <laughs> and sometimes Jake would be on the decks, DJing on the decks. So have we all been sucked in by him? <laughs> well... We were having a discussion in the the office yesterday about Richard Branson. Someone said, look, Jake Miller did do something pretty amazing. He got Richard Branson. But it turned out that two-thirds of the people sitting in the office yesterday had also interviewed Richard Branson. Because Richard Branson will talk to anyone who shows an interest in him. Right. As long as they don't ask him tough questions. So the point is, yes, he did have access to all these great people. He, He had a good idea. He got a lot of funding, he was very persuasive, and he basically, he got addicted to the high life. And all, and all the money's gone. And all the money's gone. And the value is gone, because as you've said, the internet's kind of overtaken. Now there's TED Talks, and people write their own blogs, people do their own video content. Yeah. So, what now? Well, um, I don't know what he would do in, in Africa. <laughs> And probably not quite the same scope for living the high life in Africa, I would say. What are the chances that his investors are going to get their money back? I would say there's zero possibility of them getting their money back. I think they've written the money off. And to be honest, you know, people do put money in startups all the time and Mm. they do lose their money and they expect that as part of the process. So that in itself is not such a bad thing. But when it's been so flagrantly sort of frittered away, seemingly. Yeah. Um, that That's more the problem, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, he does have a real love of adventure and partying. And tattoos. Sir Eon Edgar, investor and friend, said Miller has a wonderful ability to open doors and really get to know everyone. Deboni reckons he'll use those skills to rebuild himself. The influencer thing, the social media thing, and he does know all those people, and I don't know if all of them would think, in America at least, would think um, that what he's done is so bad. Right. Because a lot of those young entrepreneurs probably live that glamorous lifestyle. Well, so he could come back and start making money again as an influencer. I think he will go to America. He'll find another niche. They'll forgive him in their American way. You know, there's always a second act in American life, they say. He will rise again. He'll succeed again. But hopefully he doesn't take well-meaning people along with him this time, that's all. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Dieter Deboni. Mā te wā.